0: Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And again, so that we can get the context of this whole thing, I want to read verses 1 all the way down to what we're talking about here. And I call this uncovering the spirit of mammon. And we're going to see it develop within the context of the scripture and then talk a little bit about uh, some things about mammon. Verse one. And he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. So a certain rich man meant that this is something that actually happened. And this guy had a steward who was accused of not handling uh, his goods well. In verse two, he called him and he said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship for thou mayest be no longer a steward. Now remember, a steward is a manager over the goods and properties of another. He's not the owner, he manages, okay? Verse three, then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my Lord taken away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg, I am ashamed. Now, there was no indication that he ha- didn't have the ability to dig. He just made his mind up that he ain't, he's not gonna dig. And he says, and to beg, I'm ashamed. Well, he should have thought about all of that before he started mishandling the money. So, so far, we're talking about a steward who was not faithful with the money or the property and the goods. And then look what he does. He says, I'm resolved what to do that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their house. So he came up with this plan of what to do once he lost his job, his stewardship. So he called, verse five, every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and he said unto the first, how much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, take thy bill and sit down and quickly write 50. Uh, now notice what he just did. He went and took advantage of the debtors that were not even accountable to him, but were accountable to his Lord. And he cut a deal with them. And he cut a deal hoping that if, when he needed a favor, that they would remember the favor that he's given them right now. And I notice this. Um, then he said to another, verse seven, and how much owest thou? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, take thy bill and write for a score." So he's cutting a deal. So now he's planning for his future. He's cutting a deal so when he would lose his stewardship, he would have something to fall back on. And the Lord commended the unjust steward. Now that's a strange thing to do. Here's this guy not been faithful of the stewardship, and now you're commending him? That's just like commending someone that you catch coming out of your window with your flat screen TV. Okay? And the Lord, the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely? Well, what was wise about it? Well, at least he now understood that money was supposed to be for your future and not for the present and for you to squander it and take advantage of it. Now watch this. For the children of this world and their generation are wiser than the children of light. That's a pretty big statement. Basically what it says, you gotta be careful as a Christian That you're not so heaven-minded, you just think, well, I don't need to plan anything or do due diligence because I'm going to go to heaven one day, so I don't need any insurance, I don't need any of those things. He says sometimes the people in the world are wiser than the children of light. Verse 9, we get closer. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of mammon. Now, this is interesting now. This word mammon is never used lightly. Make to yourself friends of mammon of unrighteousness that when you fail or when you die or pass, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. In other words, um, if you will handle money correctly to be a blessing to people, your impact will go even farther than this life. It will also be received in heaven as people are grateful and thankful for what you did for them then. Now, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust in the much. Now, the application of verse 10 has got to be within the context of verses 1 through 9. In verses 1 through 9, summarized, he is talking about a steward who was not faithful with his Lord's money. Jesus concludes in verse 10, he that is now faithful in that which is least, referring to the least, referring to what we've been talking about since verse one, money and goods, is also faithful in much, and he that is unjust in the in the least, is unjust also in much. Can't you s- clearly see in context that the least is referring to the goods that the steward was not faithful in? So on, one con- on con- comparing and contrast, on one hand, here's a steward that was not faithful with the goods of his Lord. And then Jesus comes back and said, he that is faithful in that which is least, well, what's the least? It's not a word that is used in a category to say something like, well, in order for you to have great authority, you've got to be faithful with a little authority. That is true, but that's not what Jesus was talking about right here. Jesus is doing the speaking here. That is not what Jesus was talking about here. Jesus was specifically referring to money. Now, be careful to disagree with that because the very next verse he tells you just what I'm saying. But I want you to see exactly what he's saying here in verse 10. And why did he use least? Why did he use the least? Because he's trying to indicate that money is the smallest matter in the kingdom of God, not the largest matter. Most people have looked at money as the largest matter in the kingdom and it is not it's the smallest matter now he's getting ready to set up uh, to set us up for something that's very radical he that is faithful this word faithful is so interesting because it's a word that talks about trustworthy trusted. Uh, he that is trusted in that which is least now let me translate what he said in context he that is trusted with money He that is trusted with money, it is what this steward could not be trusted with. He that is trusted with money can also be trusted with much. And he who can't be trusted with money will also be the guy that can't be trusted with much. Jesus now places this amazing principle by saying, I know everything I need to know about your trust if I can see how you handle money. Show me if you can be trusted with money and I'll tell you what you can be trusted with in the future. Show me that you can't be trusted with money and I'll show you what you can't be trusted with in the future. He understands that there are lots of scenarios that you can come up with to make a comparison here. If a guy can't be trusted to leave $5 on your counter when he comes to your house, you don't want to make him the vice president of your company. Because what he did with the $5 on the counter will tell you everything that he will do with the billion dollar company that you hire him for. Okay? So the issue of least, I used to think it was a category. No in context jesus is using the least to refer to the money and the goods and he calls the money and goods the least and he's very wise in how he did this now notice in verse 11 if therefore you have not been trusted in the unrighteous mammon who will commit to your trust the true riches now Jesus used this word mammon, I think, four times in the New Testament. And it's very interesting because mammon and money, while mammon can be on money, money is not necessarily mammon. While mammon can be on money, money is not necessarily mammon. I'll come back to this in verse 12. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man, who shall give you that which is your own? So he's comparing and saying, listen, if you can't be trusted with something small that belongs to another man, why do you think somebody will give you that which is your own? Now verse 11 says, if therefore you've not been faithful or trusted in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust? He says your trust is never gonna have an opportunity for true things because your trust failed with with something that had mammon on it. You can't even be trusted with money. Who's gonna commit to your trust something bigger than that? You couldn't pass the test with the least in the kingdom of God. What makes you think you can pass the test where other things are concerned? All right, now watch this. No servant can serve two masters. Now, this is very important. That's, that's crazy how, how Jesus said this. No servant can serve two masters. That's a big word, masters. I already know who one master is, God. So now, who's the other master? What's the other choice? All right, now look what he says. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other, You cannot serve God, who is a spirit, and mammon, who is a spirit. It is not you can't serve God and money, you can't serve God and mammon. You see, the spirit of God's influence will either be on the money or the spirit of mammon's influence will be on the money. But money by itself is neither good or bad if the spirit of god operates in your life then that will be the same spirit that will be on the money if the spirit of mammon operates in your life then that will be the same spirit on money money is neither good or bad by itself it is waiting to see what spirit influences you what is the what is the spirit that is under the influence of your life now the objective today is to uncover a demon spirit that's been in hiding for centuries. It's been hiding under the radar. It's been hiding behind the norms and values of society. Mammon is an Aramaic word meaning riches. And at the heart, there's an attitude that says, man doesn't need God because he's self-sufficient. And this is what the spirit of mammon tries to tell you You don't need God. Mammon tries to say to you, you don't need God. I want to give you some history on Mammon. So as we go forward in this teaching, you'll really begin to to take hold of what I'm I'm saying to you today. Uh, Mammon has its roots in Babylon. And it has its roots in Babylonian history. It essentially means sown in confusion. Babylon came from the Tower of Babel, remember? The Tower of Babel was a system where they believed they didn't need God. They were trying to accomplish something where they said they didn't need, need God. They believed their own work could get them high enough to get to heaven. Spiritual, spiritual, uh, spiritual mammon says, we believe we don't need God if we have money. Same kind of spirit that was on Babel. The point the spirit of mammon wants to make is, the spirit of mammon wants you to trust money more than you trust God, so that you can eventually say, I have money, I don't need God. The spirit of mammon wants to get you to the place where you say, I don't need God, I trust money more than I trust God. Now, mammon is an Aramaic word which means riches or deceitful riches. Riches or deceitful riches. Um, It comes from the Syrian God of riches. So Jesus wasn't simply referring to riches when he said mammon. He was referring to the false God that they knew of the Syrians had a God called Mammon, and it was the God of riches. So when Jesus used the word Mammon, he was trying to effectively say, you who are ruled by Mammon and have Mammon on the money, I want you to be aware of not to trust this spirit of Mammon. So Mammon is more than just money. Some translations of the Bible translate this verse as you cannot serve God and money. This may be true, but if the mammon's not money, but is that what Jesus is teaching? Mammon comes from that Aramaic word that refers to the desire to pursue wealth as a primary purpose or goal. The origin of the word mammon comes from the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. The spirit of mammon is a spirit of Satan. It's the spirit of the world who tries to seduce us by getting us to put money before God. Mammon is that false god of riches and greed. So the devil tried to seduce Jesus with that same mammon spirit. Now, let's take everything that we've heard concerning mammon and I want you to take note again Money, let's just say, give me some money in my bag. It looks better to have money up here rather than a handkerchief. This is so very important to be able to see this now. This is neither good or bad. You put it up here by itself, it's money. Now, if I have the Spirit of God on me, I'm going to do what God's influence tells me to do, give, be a blessing, give to the poor, support ministry. That's the spirit of God. But if the mammon spirit is on me, then all of a sudden now, if that mammon spirit's on me and it gets on this money, now all of a sudden, we got a problem because the spirit of mammon says, do whatever you need to do to get it. Cheat. Steal, compromise, do what you need to do to get this. Let this be your driving force. Now, I'm going to show you some things that the Lord said to me a couple of uh, months ago. Um, You can serve mammon instead of serving God, but it's impossible to serve both at the same time. There's no middle ground. If you serve mammon, you're not serving God. If you serve God, you're not serving mammon. But you can't serve mammon and God at the same time. All money either has the spirit of God on it or has the spirit of mammon impacting it. So in a biblical sense, the word mammon is the spirit which rests on money. It's not just money. It's the spirit that rests on money. So we need to spend some time talking about how mammon behaves so you can recognize it. Now this is going to be a little on the edge of understanding practically how this thing works. Mammon or Satan, because the spirit of mammon is the spirit of Satan. Mammon is in direct contrast to the spirit of God. Mammon says buy and keep. God says sow and reap. Mammon says, cheat and steal. God says, give and receive. Mammon is looking for servants. It wants to rule your life and it wants to take the place of God. Mammon tries to take God's place by promising us everything that only God can give. Mammon promises security, but only God can give security mammon promises significance only God can give significance mammon promises identity only God can give identity mammon promises independence only God can give independence mammon promises power only God can give power and freedom mammon is selfish God is generous mammon either tries to insulate us from life's problems or it gets us to dwell on them money is not our security. God is our security. All right, let's let's take it up a little notch. Doing something wrong just to get the money is spirit of mammon motivated. Doing something wrong just to get the money is spirit of mammon motivated. If we think that money can solve our problems instead of God, then the spirit of mammon has influenced you. If the first thing you look at to solve your problem is money instead of God, then the spirit of mammon has gotten a hold of you. If you're hearing me preach on this right now and having a problem with it, the spirit of mammon has got a hold of you. If you feel some kind of funny way, if you feel some kind of funny way when an offering is taken up, then the spirit of mammon has gotten on you. When you don't get married for love anymore, but for the security that is provided by money, then the spirit of mammon is controlling you. People do not get married for love anymore. They get married for what money can bring them in security. And you are, you are making a big mistake. Mammon is driving you in that marriage. Mammon is motivating that marriage. You can marry this joker. He could be ugly. It's, it's all, but you're going to marry him because you ain't not looking at how he look. You're looking at the security that you can get from that money. You will use and you will exploit your friends if the price is right. That's mammon. That's mammon. Money can't buy you everything. Money can't buy you a home. It'll buy you a house, but not a home. It'll buy you medicine, but not healing. It'll buy you a friend for the night, but not a committed uh, uh, partner for your life. Let me show you how this mammon works. Uh, Um... You come to me and you say, God has called you to this place. I know it's God. God has called me, you crying and everything. God has called me to this place. And hallelujah, I'm gonna obey God. And then three days later, your job gives you an offer in Seattle, Washington for a $100,000 raise. And you take it, and it sounds like God, but it's really the spirit of mammon. And isn't it interesting that the $100,000 raise got you to do something that God couldn't even get you to do? Commit. See, the spirit of mammon is behind a whole lot of stuff, and we disguise it by saying it's God. But see, mammon sounds like the spirit of God, if you don't know exactly what's going on. I'm going to show you some some scriptures in a moment. It's going to blow your mind. If you find yourself more committed and more willing to do, to get the money, then mammon's driving you. And if you're willing to do more for mammon or the money than you do for God, then mammon is driving you. See, if you'll get up on Monday morning, take a shower, put the on, leave extra early so you won't be late for work so you can get that money, mammon's driving you. But on Sunday morning, you don't feel like getting up, you won't take a shower, you won't put the on, and you don't feel like going to church and dealing with church traffic. You'll, you'll, deal, you'll deal with the traffic on Monday, but you won't deal with the traffic going to church. That's mammon. That's mammon. Mammon's driving you. Mammon has a voice. Mammon is always speaking to us, trying to confuse us regarding God's principles. The spirit of mammon talks to us, especially when we're trying to give to the Lord. The spirit of mammon is talking to us, especially when we're trying to give to the Lord to the Lord. Let me show you this first one, Mark chapter 10. I think I've given you enough to at least follow me through this. If you're in Mark chapter 10, look at verse 17. Story of the rich young ruler. What was really behind this? Verse 17, and when he was gone forth into the way, there came out running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Well, he lying right there. Can't nobody keep the law, but he thought he could. (laughs) Then Jesus beholding him is going to now prove who he really trusts. Because right now this guy is perpetrating that he really has a strong trust for Jesus. Good master, doing all that, playing the game. And Jesus says, we're going to find out. Then Jesus beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come and take up your cross and follow me. How he responded, he was sad at that saying. And he went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Kind of like when the preacher says it's offering time and people say they were sad at. they saying because they had great possessions. And they saw giving as Jesus instructed them as a loss rather than a gain. Grief is associated with loss. And Jesus looking round about and said unto his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again, saith unto him, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? Do you see what happened here? The guy did not trust Jesus more than he trusts his possessions, Mammon. He could have had a place, a place at Jesus's table, but Mammon. Mammon had more influence on him than Jesus. Had he given like Jesus told him to give, he'd have got it all back a hundredfold. But he says, I can't do that. I trust my possessions more than I trust Jesus. And Mammon was controlling this guy's life. And he forsook a call that could have been on his life. Because his money had more influence over him, excuse me, mammon had more influence on him than God. And he goes on here, and it's a lot of other neat things that were happening here when he, when he said all this, but um, the issue was trust. How hard shall them that trust in riches? Trust in riches, that's what mammon wants to do. Mammon wants you to trust riches so you won't trust God. The spirit of mammon wants you to trust riches and not trust God. The spirit of mammon wants to get you to a place where you will say, I don't need God because I have money. This guy felt like he didn't need God because he had money. Mammon is always trying to prevent or to discourage us from giving and being generous. Mammon stopped this guy from being generous. Mammon is behind all of that. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you some some things that are, uh, in my opinion, I think they're just things that you need to see. Let's look at um, Proverbs chapter three and verse nine through 10. spirit of mammon tries to get you to say I don't need God mammon wants to take God's place mammon wants honor mammon is trying to recruit for people to join his church <laughs> verse 9 honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruit of thine increase So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy precious shall burst out with new wine. Now, to honor God means to place God at first place of priority. Idolatry is when something or someone takes the first place that God used to be in. Are you following me? So honor the Lord with thy substance or honor the Lord with your money or honor the Lord with your capital. Man, this is good. Means that God is first place where your money is concerned. What happens with most Christians is. That. uh, God becomes the afterthought. You go and you take care of your bills, you pay your car note. And if you have anything left over, then you'll reach in your pocket on Sunday morning at the last minute and see what you can give God. That is not honor. That is the spirit of mammon saying I want you to trust money more than you trust God. Don't trust God. Mammon wants honor. Mammon wants trust. And so Mammon wants to take God's place. Honor the Lord with your substance. No, mammon don't want you to honor the Lord with your substance. Mammon wants you to see, don't give that to God. Hold on to it. Hold on to that. You can't afford to give. You got to pay your light bill, your gas bill. You got to do all this stuff. If you have something left over, give to God. But Mammon says, I want to control and rule your life where your money is concerned. Mammon says, I want to tell you what to do with that money. And most of the time, people let let people allow Mammon to tell them, put God last place. Don't put him first place. Don't set none aside every week for God. You got a light bill to pay. You got to do that, not realizing if you will allow God to influence your money, you will always have enough. But the thing about Mammon, Mammon wants to influence you, but at the end of the day, will leave you in a ditch. Wondering what happened? Look at First Timothy chapter six and ten. I'm still on foundation, folks. We haven't even started yet. I'm just still. I'm just still trying to get your brain in the right area. First Timothy chapter six and verse ten. You've heard this before, but I don't know if anybody's ever defined it. You've heard people say money is the root of all evil. Do you know that's not one scripture in the Bible that says money is the root of all evil? Not one scripture in the Bible that says money is the root of all evil because money, if money was the root of all evil, then ladies and gentlemen, all of us are guilty every time we go to work because we're trying to get that evil money. Now, what's evil is not having no money to be able to pay your bills and to give your wife a new weed, That's an evil thing or to have heat when it's cold or an air conditioner when it's hot. That is a terrible thing. But look what he says for the love of money is the root of all evil. What is the love of money? It's trusting money more than you trust God. The love of money, it's a relational word. It's a wrong relationship because to love money means you're gonna trust it more than God. Man, that's mammon-driven. When you're influenced to trust your money more than you trust God, that's mammon-driven. Now look at Matthew chapter 6, 21. I wish I had time to stay on some of this stuff. I had two, three months to do it before, but I'm trying to get just the basics out for you. Verse 21, read out loud For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know what he just said? Show me your treasure and, and I'll see your heart. Show me your treasure and I'll see your heart. Do you trust God or do you trust your treasure? Somebody says, well, here's how that works. How do I know where my heart is? Well, it's where your treasure is. Well, how do you determine that? Give me your checkbook and give me your calendar. Because where you spend your time and where you spend your money determines where your treasure is. And so if I look at your calendar and you're on the golf course and you're in the golf store and you're buying tickets for golf tournaments, And then I look at your checkbook and you've paid money for golf clothes, golf shoes, golf balls, golf clubs. I'm gonna call you up and say, aha, I have found your heart. It's on the golf course. No, but brother Dollar, my heart's with God. Well, not according to your time and your money because your ledger and your calendar tells me the truth about where your money is and you're being driven by mammon. God is still last place. The spirit of mammon through demonic influence will try to control and keep you in bondage. Now I wanna show you a little something here. Go to Matthew 16. The spirit of mammon is so subtle you could hardly notice it's there working on you. A demon spirit working on a Christian and they don't even know it. It's disguised itself over the generations. It's it's it, It hit itself behind a mask. And you can't even recognize that mammon's working on your life. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Look at verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now watch Peter. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Now I'm sure Peter thought he was being all nice and generous, and it sounds like something you hear at church. Oh, God, you don't have to go through that. And look how Jesus responds. He turned and he said unto him, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savoreth not the things that be of God, but you savor the things that be of men. You know what Jesus just said? He said, I just told you the will of God for my life and being here. You turn right around and allow yourself to be on a a demonic influence. He said, you're saying something that's not of God. You're saying something that doesn't line up with the word. You see, what's more revealing is that in this same chapter, if you go up a couple of verses, Jesus was just commending Peter because he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. God just spoke through him. And in the same setting, he got rebuked for Satan influencing him. He was under demonic influence. Anytime you say stuff that doesn't line up with God's word and God's will, it's being motivated by demonic influence. I imagine Peter had a problem with Jesus calling him Satan. After he just, after he just had called him blessed. He turns around and says, Satan, you are an offense unto me. Isn't that something? So subtle. And look at what he said. Oh, you don't have to go through this. He says, I rebuke you, Satan. He had to recognize when influence was on his life. And when influence of mammon is on your life and you don't recognize it, how easy was it for that demonic influence to come on Peter, and he didn't even know it. You've got to know the word, you've got to know what the spirit of mammon is all about and what it attempts to do. So I'm gonna give you three characteristics that we need to know and appreciate to avoid falling under the bondage of the spirit of mammon. Number one, mammon will tell us that it can protect us from our problems. And that money is the solution. Mammon will tell us that it can protect us from our problem and that money is the solution. Whenever in your life money becomes the only way out, you're being governed by mammon. Why? Because you're not trusting God. You're trusting money more than you're trusting God. Number two, mammon appears to provide things which only God can give. (laughs) power and security and significance and healing. Mammon appears to provide things which only God can give. Number three, mammon causes fear for it will tell you that you don't have enough money or wealth, no matter how much you have, it will repeat itself. You don't have enough. You don't have enough. You don't have enough. You don't have enough. enough. Spirit of mammon is the spirit of lies. Spirit of mammon is the spirit of lies. You remember when Jesus sent his disciples out two by two, told them to leave their purse at home, their money at home, their script at home, their coat. And uh, if they receive you, praise God, if they don't, kick the dust off your feet and keep going. You remember what he said when they got back. From that journey, go to Luke 22, 35 and 36. The issue is an issue of trust. Are you going to be mammon motivated or God motivated? Mammon influenced or God influenced? Verse 35. And he said unto them, when I sent you without purse and scrip and shoes, lack ye anything? And they said what? nothing look at verse 26 then said he unto them but now he that hath a purse let him take it up and likewise his scrip; and he that hath no sword let him sell his garment and buy one you know what he was saying he says I got to prove that you trust me more than you trust mammon so leave all your stuff at home and watch me take care of you when they got back he said did you lack anything they said Lord we lack nothing He said, go and pick your stuff back up again because it won't have the power to influence your life because you've turned that over to me. I am the influence of your life. Judas was demonically influenced by the spirit of mammon. Look at Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 1 through 6. Now the feast of the unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas. Did you see that? That was the spirit of Mammon. The spirit of Mammon got into Judas. And look at what happened. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and coveted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunities to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. The spirit of Mammon came in and he was willing to betray Jesus to get that money. Mammon moved him to betray Jesus for the sake of getting the money. And look at um, John chapter 12, verse three through six. John chapter 12, three through six. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which 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 should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pieces and given to the poor? This he said not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was in the bag. Are y'all seeing a little pattern here? He is being moved by money. He don't care about no poor people. He trying to figure out how can I get that money in the bag so I can dip into it a little bit. What is this man getting this expensive spices for? That could be sold so we can use that money, but he wasn't caring about no poor people. See. The spirit of mammon is 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 demonic. It's, it's the spirit of the world. The spirit of mammon is the spirit of the world. And one day you're going to have to choose between mammon spirit and God spirit. You're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose. Now, let me give you... Um, Some signs of whether or not you're worshiping mammon or or not. Trying to help you to identify some signs of whether or not you are yielded to mammon or not. If you have if you have anxiety over unmet needs. You're being influenced by the spirit of mammon. What are you saying? I trust me having money to meet my needs than trusting God to meet my needs. One of God's name is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. And when we bind to the spirit of Mammon's philosophy, we live under the banner of hopelessness and under the banner of financial fantasies where greed takes over and we end up in materialism. Materialism doesn't mean having materials. Materialism means that you Yield and trust materials to resolve issues rather than yielding and trusting God to resolve issues. You're depressed instead of believing God to heal you of the depression. You go shopping. That's mammon moving you. Number two, if you have fear about the future, you are being influenced by mammon. Mammon cannot control the future. That's in God's hand. Why are you trusting money? If you have a fear about your future, you are are yielding to mammon. Oh my God, what about our future? What are we going to do? No. Number three, the spirit of mammon works unbelief. Mammon will tell you that the Lord's ways are foolish and outdated. The spirit of mammon will get you to stop tithing or will convince you that tithing puts you under the law and not grace. The spirit of mammon will bring envy into your heart and will lead you into lies and cheating. The spirit of mammon will tell you that God does not love you. The spirit of mammon will bring disobedience into your life. The spirit of mammon will poke fun at you for trusting God. You know, that happened in Luke chapter six. Go there. Luke 16. Oh, Ken and Bishop get, get some scriptures. I feel like I'm like missing a big part of something. <laughs> Add to it in just a moment. If you'll notice when he said no servant can serve two masters," you will either hate the one or love the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Look at what happened in the very next verse. And the Pharisees also who were covetous, they were covetous, heard all these things and they derided him. They poked fun at him. They laughed and they scorned him. They were saying, this guy don't know what he's talking about, man. You know, you you, you ain't serving no spirit of mammon. And Jesus is up here telling them you're being influenced by mammon. You're already covetous, that's already a sign that you're under the influence of mammon. They poke fun at him just to try to get people not to believe that the mammon spirit was even in operation. And that's how in hiding it is. Now, what's the whole point of this whole deal right here about mammon? When it comes to people not giving They have to decide, am I being controlled by the demonic spirit of mammon that eventually is going to leave me in a ditch? Or are they being influenced by God? What you do with money is either going to be godly influence or mammon influence. When people don't give in church, it's because they're being being directed and influenced by mammon. It is because the Spirit of God directs us to give and to be givers, and the spirit of mammon says you don't. The way you overcome the spirit of mammon is you trust God, you need God, and you give to God. If you always got a problem with money and giving money to the kingdom, and and if you're stingy and you hold on to your money because you're afraid you're gonna lose it, it's all mammon. You know what? You know what mammon is in America? They call it the American dream, that's mammon. <laughs> You know, come to America and figure out how to get your own money and keep it in a hole and hold on to it and don't share it with nobody else because you're scared you're going to lose it. That's the American dream. It's a spirit of mammon. It's the spirit that governs most of our churches. You know, preachers don't talk about money because that's what mammon don't. it's exactly what mammon, mammon don't want them to talk about money. Remember when Jesus came in the wilderness, the first thing Satan did was try to seduce him over mammon. I'll give you everything you see here if you'll bow down and worship me. For a cost, I'll give you everything you see. And when you're dealing with mammon, it's always for a cost. The issue here with the spirit of mammon is you've got to get to the place where you don't trust money. Mammon's desire is to get you to trust God money more than you trust God mammon wants you to say I trust money to do all of the things that only God can do oh believe God for healing no I just go buy the medicine oh believe God for a home no I just get the house oh believe God for a family oh no I just buy a prostitute mammon wants to mammon the spirit of mammon is the is that spirit that's the spirit of the world It's the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's what the spirit of mammon is. If you have a relationship with money and you trust money more than you trust God, you're influenced by mammon. Even as a preacher, do you trust money more than you trust God? There are going to be some financial things happening in your life, and you're going to have a chance to prove it. There are going to be some people that are going to offer you some money to do some things. You have a chance to prove it. I'm not going to come preach somewhere because somebody decided they wanted to pay me. I'm not going to be led by mammon. I'm going to, lead, I'm going to be led by God, not mammon. If you let God lead you, and that's the thing. If God's influencing your life, boy, he'll bring more money than you've ever seen before but if you make your decisions based on money instead of being based on the anointing, you're gonna be wrong all those times. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? The issue of finances and ministry is not a hard thing. You just can't be ruled by it. And you gotta eventually come to the place where you trust God. I trust God. So this is not an issue or a topic of money. It's more than is an issue and a topic of God. you remember in Mark chapter 12, the woman with the widow's mite. You remember the strange thing Jesus said? The Bible says Jesus was looking over the offering. The strange thing Jesus said was, this woman has given more than anybody today. No. That could not be true as far as the measure of money because she only had two mites and the rich men had a lot more. So what was it that she gave more than everybody? Trust. Trust is the currency of the kingdom. They still had more money they could trust in. She had nothing left. She could only trust God. Trust is the currency of the kingdom. Yeah, but brother Dollar, I gave a $1,000 and God blessed me. No, you had enough to trust God more than money, so you gave it away. And trust is the currency of the kingdom of God. But if you cannot prove that you trust God more than you trust money, Ladies and gentlemen, mammon is directing your life. You will serve God, you will serve mammon. You can't serve both of them. And if you're not serving God, and listen, if you're not doing what God tells you to do with the money, but how are you going to know what God tells you to do with the money? Because nobody preaches on it. If you don't trust God and do what he tells you to do with the money, but you trust mammon and you do what mammon tells you to do. Mammon says hold back. Mammon says steal. Mammon says keep it. Mammon says, you know, don't, don't, don't give. You're being influenced by the spirit of mammon and you will see one day that that was not the best influence to have in your life. When you're not under the influence of mammon, you give much, much more than 10%. You'll never get your calculator out again to see if it's 10%. You're going to give so much more than 10% because you're not giving out of the necessity to be blessed, or neither are you giving for the necessity of not being cursed. You're giving out of a cheerful heart because you love God and you have been moved by the spirit of God and not by the spirit of mammon. Y'all want to add something to that? I I just really feel y'all can bring something to the table on that. Because they'll tell you, you know, how do you say something that took you four months to say? <laughs> Only thing I knew is read a couple of notes till you go through some things and, and try to get the the bulk of it out so you can hear it. Do y'all have the basis of what this thing was talking about? If not, they'll straighten it out. Mm. Straighten it out, guys. Straighten it out. Yeah, straighten it out.
1: praise God fix it preacher One of the things that uh, Dr. Dollar was sharing as well when we were on this message is he was talking about the spirit of Mammon uh, also having with it spirit of pride, greed, and poverty and uh, the spirit of Mammon will try to take you into a position of of pride uh, whereby you think that with the, mammon that you, or the, the spirit of mammon being upon money, that you're operating in so much amount of money that, of course, no one can tell you what to do, uh, that money can answer all things, that you think that as long as you have it in your pocket that um, no, one, no one is above you. Uh, pride, in essence, is thinking that you don't need anybody else, and that's what Pastor was talking about with the, with the spirit of mammon. Um, when we talk about um, poverty, and how poverty, of course, can um, go two ways. When you have a lack thereof, Mammon thinks, I mean, when people are in poverty and they think that uh, they have the the lack of money, so, of course, that that always puts them in a position of, uh, of seeking, of wanting, of of feeling like they they don't have enough so with the understanding that if i have if i could only just get the money if i only had money you know money will have you thinking that um uh how how often have we been in this situation where we say uh if i had more money i would get a, a better clothes. If I had more money, I would get a bigger house. If I had more money, I would get, put my kids in better school. If I had more money, um, you know, I, I would do a lot of things if I had more money. And so, therefore, it puts us in a position where it's as if money will make everything right. Money will make everything better. Money will answer all of the 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 questions of life and the issues of life rather if I only had money. So you can see where we can juxtapose that. If I only had God, I would have this. I would have that. If I only had God, I can believe God for uh, tires for my car. I can believe God for rent for my house. I can believe God for health for my children. Everything that money has told you that it can provide, God has already said, I've already provided. So we get in this position where we think that if we don't have the money, we are in poverty. And therefore, the spirit of mammon operates in that poverty, keeping us in bondage. Because we always think that if if we have more money, that it is going to answer all of those things that God is saying. I've already provided. so when we look at pride, we look at um, what I said, pride, poverty what was that other one I say? Looking at, my, looking at my notes here, I apologize. greed. Pride, poverty, greed. greed. You can have greed. People think that you're greedy, uh, you have a lot and you're, and, you're, and you're greedy because you've gotten a lot. Um, you can have a little and still be greedy. Mm-hmm. You cannot have enough and still be greedy in that the little bit that you have, you want to hold on to it so much. That's right. That's right. That and, and, poverty and the spirit of, of mammon will try to teach you that exact same thing that if I have a lot, I don't want to lose it. So I'm going to hold on to it for fear of losing it and then, what little I have, which can be five dollars, but because I'm greedy, I don't wanna give that five dollars to, to the offering because I'm, I'm held on to greed. There was a man who was, this man was one of the uh, most, one of the smartest men in the world. This man had, at the age of 23, he was the nation's first millionaire He had uh, a gift on him where he could actually acquire money. You come up with an idea, he figure out how to multiply it and make millions and millions and millions. By age 53, this man was the first billionaire in the country. But the one thing about it was with all of the monies that this man had, he was ill and he was dying. And he called all the best doctors in the world, all of everybody, you know, that was the best. They couldn't heal him. And they told this man, said, um, you know, look, there's, there's nothing we can, we can do for you. You're a billionaire. Your hair's falling out. Uh, you know, you've got these boils on your skin. You're just, you're just dying. And, um, but one thing about the man, the man actually grew up in church. The man was taught by his mom to Sunday school and grew up in church and, 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 and learning the word. But here at 53, the, the nation's first billionaire decided that I've got all of this money and here I am about to die. The nation's richest man about to die at age 53. Well, before he died, he had a dream. And in this dream, he couldn't remember all of the details of the dream, but he remembered that I can't take this with me. All this money that I got, I'm 53 years old, and I'm a billionaire, and I can't take it with me. Well, he came up out out of that, figuring that he was gonna die, so he said, I may as well start giving it away. He started giving the money away. Uh, education, hospitals, uh, all kind of charity type work. He just started giving it away. The interesting thing about it was he started getting well. The more he started giving the money away, the better he started getting. Because he he didn't realize what was happening was that the grip of the spirit of mammon was being broken from him as he was giving this money away, this money that he had loved so much, even though he grew up in church and understood and had gone taught Bible school and Sunday school and all that, he still let the spirit of mammon get a hold on him. Where, was he serving God or was he serving mammon? He was serving mammon. But when he started giving the money, the money away, he broke the cycle or the grip of mammon on him and he started getting well. Well, you all know of this man because he's a very famous man. He's John D. Rockefeller. John D. Rockefeller is known as one of the richest man in the United States, almost one of the richest man in the world, that this man understood that if I, I can't take it with me, and he started giving it away, and as he started giving it away, now he started remembering the scriptures, and he had, he had one statement, he said, he said, I believe that it is my Christian duty to make all the money that I can legally. He said, I also believe that it is my Christian duty to give every bit of it away. Now, what was, what was in the operation, a spiritual principle? Give, That's right. and it shall be given unto you. But because he understood the spirit of mammon, and how it had gotten a hold of him, he broke that grip of the spirit of mammon by giving it away and started trusting God because he realized in a dream, I can't take this stuff with me. This isn't going to help me. I got all the money in the world and it's not going to help me. I got to trust God. Mm-hmm. And as he started giving that money away and, and broke that spirit of mammon on him, then, then God came in and healed him. Uh, but that's how the spirit of mammon can, can trick you if you don't realize, in terms of greed, we talk about uh, pride, poverty, and and greed. But in terms of greed, how it can it can hold on? You can think that you want to hold on to it so long that it'll dupe you. Amen. Amen. Bishop?
2: That's good. That's, that's good, Pastor Ken. Really good. Uh, God tells us all the time that God um, tell us all the time and teach us all the time about. Um, I bless your bread and water and take sickness from the midst of you. Uh, he take pleasure in the pros- on the prosperity of saints. I bless you going out, coming in, and everything we put our hands to, he called it bless. And, but as soon as something happened, we started trusting in mammon again. Because it's really get down to trust. Dr. Dollar always said when he started teaching this, he said, who are you with? Who are you with? You with the spirit of mammon or you with the spirit of God? Um, there's a story in the Bible and I've told this over years and I, I really like this story children in Israel have nothing and they was in bondage for 400 years and God comes down and uh tell them I won't tell the whole story and, and they killed the lamb and uh, that was the first Passover and they come out and they don't come out poor they come out with all the silver and gold they come out uh, all healed they all delivered they set free nobody crippled, nobody blind because they ate the Lord's Supper which that was a provision for them and all of them was healed and they delivered and and, and money came into the camp. They got all the money because uh, Pharaoh wasn't chasing them because he wanted the slave back. They wanted their money back because they took all the money out of the land. But so so Israel God provides for them um, cloud cloud by day to first air conditioning uh, he he, uh, he put a fire around them at night to protect them from the wild animals. And God just showed them favor and he took care of them. They get hungry and then quail, barbecued quail, roasted quail, blackened quail, all that fall down into the camp. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds kind of good, doesn't it? <laughs> and all these things happen and, and he just blessed them. So, okay, then they come through the Red Sea and soon as they get through the Red Sea, God tell them to go down tomorrow and drink bitter water. And they drank the bitter water and they start start complaining. Start, stop complaining. They quit trusting God. But God always have more for us than what mammon uh, can fool you or trick you with to think you have. And God sent them there for two reasons. One, because it had magnesium in it, because they were gonna still be in the desert, and, and, and they needed that magnesium to work some things out of them. <laughs> Nuclear magnesium, you know. <laughs> and the other thing, it had calcium in the, in the, um, in the water. Because it strengthened strengthening their bones because they knew they were going to be out in the sun. And strengthen them so they wouldn't cramp up. No matter what we're faced with, children in the middle of the desert, God doing all these things. And they said, oh, we were better off in Egypt. We were just better off in Egypt. And God kept providing for them. And kept providing for them because what happens to us are we gonna be like the children of Israel and God bring us out he's already brought us out or are we gonna let mam- the spirit of mammon come back on us and trick us like it did Adam and Eve and the God had God said what has God said to you but, and so why you want to trade in what God has said for you the word of God what he said to you and trade that in for something that you don't know how it's gonna come out. We got to learn to trust God in the midst of everything. No matter what, we have to trust God. Don't trust in riches, don't trust
0: in money. Trust God in everything. Mm-hmm. And, and the whole grace space issue where this is concerned is that uh, he's already provided everything we need. He's given um, uh, seed Amen. and bread. First, to enable us to be able to sow and, and to get and everything's available but if we don't trust him for our provisions and allow mammon to rule us then again that's that's what rules this nation right now mm-hmm. is mammon is right. mm-hmm. that you know I won't do it for God but I shall do it for money And some people think, you know, and and here's the deal though, you gotta athlete, you know, you gotta remember these guys playing basketball and football, getting, you know, $5,800 million contracts. Um, What happens is now, they gotta be careful to not let mammon drive their life. They go out, they get validation on the court, and then one day that's over with. And then all of a sudden they realize, wow, I got all this money, but, uh, I can't get the peace that I want, or I can't get a family or somebody to love me, or get the validation that, that the real validation that comes from God. And you know, the sad thing about it is those who don't know how to manage it right and they end up losing it, mammon always leaves you in a ditch, but God will always come and get you out of that ditch. And the difference between God influence and mammon's influence is that God's not gonna lead you in a ditch, and he's not, and and and, uh, and he'll come get you out if you find yourself in one. But Mammon doesn't care. Mammon doesn't mind if it destroys you. Mammon wants to tell you, you know what? Um, you uh, you don't need God because you got money. You know, so the athlete gets that $500, five hundred million dollar contract. I don't need to go to church no more. I got money. Mm-hmm. I don't need to. I don't need to listen to more tapes. I got money. Now he used all of that to get where he is. Now all of a sudden. Mammon has so influenced his life where he don't trust God. The issue is trust. 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 Who will you trust, God or Mammon? Okay, but you can't do both. Alrighty. I ran out of gas a little bit. I, I pr- appreciate them coming and uh, helping them out. I ran out of gas a little bit. I didn't know where I was at first. I was just like, shh. Mammon, What's that? Any questions?
2: Can I just want to add one other thing? Sure uh, a very good friend of mine was, was struggling real bad and he had everything, his truck, his car, everything he had, he had it up for sale. And um but God told him not to sell and I could call him every week and give him a word from the Lord and encourage and motivate him. So he got blessed, came up with an idea, got rich, and when he didn't have nothing, he said, God. Then he got the money, and then he started believing in the money and started believing he was going to lose it and this was going to happen, and this was going to happen. Stole his Mm peace. Then he got ulcers, and then he got sicker and sicker, and he's really in bad health right now because he quit trusting God and started trusting in what he was blessed with instead of trusting God and thanking him for what he was blessed with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good.
3: Uh, Before we take some questions. I don't want you guys to miss this moment. What you are seeing right now. What you are seeing right now is worth all your time here in Atlanta. This is grace being lived out. Mm. This is what it's all about. Second Timothy chapter two, verse one, Paul admonished Timothy to be strong in their grace That's in the Lord Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. and in that very next verse, it tells him, "The things that's hard of me, commit to faithful men, Mm -hmm. who will be able to teach others also." Do you see what God's just done here? In the previous segment, Doctor Dollar just shared with us what Kenneth Copeland said to him about how as a father, you nurture a child. The child grows, becomes your friend, and at a time comes when that son can minister back to you, mm-hmm. and without any script or any planning, God set it up where what He just told us He just lived out.
2: Amen. Amen.
3: Amen. Amen. I don't want you guys to miss these God moments because this is huge. If He has not poured His life into them and get into the place where he's able to trust the God that he showed them. How could he ever call them up now and say, give me something. <laughs> so, don't kill your children. Nurture them. Don't compete and try to grandstand with those that God has given you. Our place is to teach, to train, to nurture, to encourage because you never know when they're going to be have a glass of water to feed you thank you so much. Thank you so much for, uh, I mean, this competitiveness that we see in the body of Christ, is not here. The security that you have in what God has given you to bless your children and then give them the platform and say, show us what God has put in you. That's what Abraham did to Isaac. He sent the servants away and created the platform for Isaac right. to to do what God has put in him. Man, this is a picture is worth a thousand (laughs) (laughs) words. This is huge. Thank you very much. My God. Glory to God. And so now, for your questions.
2: (laughs) As a least
4: way of breaking the bondage of mammon on us, I just wanted to comment on, on, on that.
1: Definitely. Um, you know, when we talk about tithing, and, and Pastor's been talking about the law, and oftentimes when people talk about tithing, they equate it to the law, but Dr. Dollar is taught enough to let us know that tithing isn't under, under the law anymore. Uh, as far as uh, getting the curse that comes from not tithing under the law. When we look at what uh, when we talk about breaking the spirit of mammon on us, mammon wants us to hold on to the money and trust in the money, and of course, not release the money as God has blessed us with. The Bible says in Proverbs 11 that the liberal soul shall be made fat, and it talks about how, you know, uh, those which sow, it's more blessed to give than receive, all, all of those things there. So, Prior to the law, Bishop and I were yeah. talking about this, yeah. prior to the law, before tithing was instituted, we know that Abraham gave to Melchizedek.
2: 400 years. 400 years before yeah. that. before.
1: So really, in its infancy, in its beginning, tithing never really was about the law. It was about giving out of an appreciation.
2: Gratitude. Gratitude, Gratitude. Gratitude. yes. Yeah.
1: To what God had done for Abraham. Abraham going against three kings, I uh-huh. think it was. Yeah. Took his dishwashers, his, his, his farmers, <laughs> That's right. That's his right. maids. That's right. And he went right. to war against three kings and defeated them. Amen. Abraham had enough sense to know that I did do that. God did that for me. Mm. And out of appreciation, he gave that tithe to God. So really, if you take it back to Abraham, eliminate the law portion out of it, and bring Abraham's portion back over here in the front, this is how we need to give to the Lord. But in how does that break the spirit of mammon? That breaks the spirit of mammon by saying, "God, I trust you." Going back to Abraham, I trust you that you were able to defeat that army for me, not me myself. So, and I'm just showing my appreciation to you. So when we give tithing to the Lord, all we're doing is saying that we're thankful for for what you've done for us already. And I trust you that you can do it again. If you've done it once, you can do it again. So, so yes, where mammon wants you to keep it in your pocket, trusting God says, I give it to you because I appreciate what you've done for me and I trust you enough that you'll do it for me again. Yeah. So yes sir, I, I definitely can see where tithing, when we understand the, yeah. the true reason for tithing, can break the spirit of mammon because we're not holding on to it, we're releasing it. Oh.
2: Amen. Amen. Okay, and, great. And, and, and it gets down to just a matter of trust again. And when you trust God and all that you do, and that's the first thing. If you get a man money, you got his heart. Cause that's why it's hard is mostly in that that mammon that mammon you get that but if he give it unto God and and uh, Abraham said no man can say he made me rich cause he trusted God amen
1: can I just add a little yeah, sure. bit to that just real quickly uh, in in Matthew six uh, nineteen and and Pastor was reading he read it down to twenty one Matthew six nineteen it says um, uh, lay up treasures in heaven where moth doesn't corrupt, or you know, no, thieves don't. don't break through and steal. Ah, okay. uh, yes, thank <laughs> you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so he said, he said, lay up, lay up your treasures uh, in heaven, where neither moth does corrupt, nor nor thieves break through, and all. Go back up to nineteen. He said, but don't lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth, mm-hmm. where moth and rust does corrupt, and thieves break through. So we read that in, you can lay up your treasures in earth or you can lay up your treasures in heaven. 21st verse says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart will be also. So your treasure, in this context here, your treasure can be in what? One of two places. Either in heaven or either in earth. So it says where your treasure is in one of two places, in heaven or either in earth, that's where your heart is going to be. No. So is your heart in heaven or is your heart in the earth? So it, 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 it gives you two places where, where your treasure actually can be. Really, you know, when you talk about it being in the earth, now it can be in a lot of things in the earth yeah. that you can put your treasure in. But when your treasure is in heaven, then your treasure is actually uh, on, on God, on, on the things of God. So when you when you look at that, where is your treasure? Is it in heaven or is on the earth? Then we know then where our money is. If our treasure is in heaven, then our money is in heaven. If our treasure is on earth, then our money is on earth. Because where your treasure is, that's where your 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 money is. You're putting it in one or two places. So I think that that really kind of boils it down and, and tells us in in essence where our treasure is. One or two places, heaven or earth and and it simplifies it
2: can't serve two masters
1: can't serve two masters because that master and it, <laughs> really 19 all the way down through the rest of the of the verse it it talks about in essence those those two things your treasure is either in heaven or your treasure is on earth your treasure is either mammon or, or your, you serve either mammon or you either serve serve god Amen. it gives those those two things there so it's just kind of a comparison contract Amen.
4: Uh, my question is not directly on this, but probably indirectly still related. Uh, I've always <coughs> preached on, and, and uh, Dr. Dollar mentioned it in terms of the uh, what God did. Uh, probably one of one of us mentioned it here. What God did in the wilderness for the children of Israel, taking them through and the provision of manna and all that. And myself and most preachers have preached saying, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the days of manna are over. You know, they were trying to uh, ignite people to be a little bit more responsible to produce, you know, not to be lazy, not just to sit down and name it and claim it, right? Mm-hmm. but. Looking at it, of course, we've come now to understand, I've come to understand that, yeah, truly, the days of manna are still real. If you trust God, and if you believe in his provision, it can manifest things, even that our eyes have not seen, that our heart have not conceived, and bring it into reality. Now, with that new mindset, I want us to now read 1 Corinthians 15, and I want to get your opinion on that. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse, uh, verse, verse, beginning from verse 9, Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. Now, verse 10 is really where I'm going. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labor more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Now, I'm not trying to discount the grace of God in this contest, but at the same time, I want us to reconcile the labor that Paul pointed out to that. Listen, I labor. In other words... I don't just take the grace of god and i'm not productive you know uh, now how do we balance the teaching of grace with being effective in the community because now we have some school of thoughts which i don't subscribe to that believe you know what the grace of god will provide it and therefore the aspect of work was completely reduced to almost nothing, but rather hiding behind grace and not productive, not working, not giving themselves to producing something in society. Now, I know the time of manna is still available. God can still do that. you gonna make your you make point. Make a point. <laughs>
0: why, why is make a point. Uh-huh. There, there, is, there is only one labor the Bible talks about. Yeah. Yeah labor right. to rest. Yeah. Labor right. to rest. Now what does the labor to rest look like? When somebody says you're sick, it's a labor to say, by his stripes I'm healed. Yeah. Lord, I give you praise. Lord, I worship you. I don't receive that. Only labor that, that yeah, requires in the book of Hebrews is to labor to enter into that rest. Because everything in the world is going to be coming at Persecution comes because of the revelation that you get. That that thing that Paul went through was because all of the the revelation he got, Satan sent a messenger to buffet him because of the abundance of revelation of grace that he received. He had to die daily to that persecution that came. He had to labor to rest. In other words, spiritual warfare here is maintaining the victory that Jesus died for you to obtain. That's labor. Don't let anybody tell you it's labor for when I was diagnosed with cancer that I had to get up and say I'm healed in the name of Jesus. Lord, I praise you for help right now in the name of Jesus. All is well with me in the name of Jesus. Oh, God, because when I enter into that place of rest, I enter into that place where I can receive God's best. The only labor. I'm not working to try to get ill. Rest is not inactivity. It is doing what you gotta do, but you don't worry about nothing. And that's a labor. It's not just this thing where, you know, I wake up in the morning and everything cool. All hell coming against these two between these two ears trying to tell me what you believe in ain't true. And I walk up and down and say, Father, I believe I receive. Father, I'm the righteousness of God. Lord, I praise you for this all of what I need to do that's the labor not to do what Jesus has already done but I'm laboring to rest in what he's already done
3: that's right Dr can I just also ask is there not corresponding works to confirm our faith in other words uh James said faith without works is dead and in the case of the Apostle Paul He's talking about how the grace of god labored in him in other words it's god that's in us uh who's uh well, how's that, what that scripture says it's philippians chapter three uh, it, it, it's it, a work in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure it,
0: it is it is he that doeth the work exactly uh on the inside of us there's a difference between the works of faith there you go mm-hmm. and the works of the law that's
2: there you right. go
0: okay.
3: there you go we are no longer to try to work according to the law to try to get something done because right. jesus
0: works in them but there is the works of faith a lot of people say that james and paul were in disagreement no they were saying the exact same thing uh the works of faith is necessary because grace mates but faith takes but my but my faith is under attack so i may have to meditate on the word i may do some confessing of the word, not to try to get God to do what he's already done, but to keep my faith and my confidence in a place where it is not weakened, so I can keep my faith strong. That's a work of faith. I mean, even when he told, after what Kim was just talking about in Genesis, and Abraham, the Bible says, and after these things, Genesis 15, look what happened. After these things, he was made righteous. He got a son he was going to be able to get, but, but it wasn't complete until Genesis 22 when everything that he believed that God said was, was actually initiated when he took his son, his only son, to be sacrificed on the altar, believing that what God promised him was going to be there no regardless of what was facing him. That was faith working to get a hold of what grace had made available. I'm not working to get what, to do what Jesus has already done. I'm working to receive by faith what he's already uh-huh. done. So we were saved by grace, but we get it through by faith. faith. And there is a work of faith to what, keep our faith in shape yeah. so that I can make sure I can get what faith, grace has made. Grace makes faith takes. Yeah. But faith only takes What grace makes. Absolutely. So, anytime you try to get faith to take something other than what grace made, it'll be legalism. That's right. Trying to use your faith to do something that grace had not. So, he waits to the work of it.
3: Well, that I labored well, more. What, what, put it back yeah. up? Corinthians fifteen. 15 context.
0: 19, yeah. context, Paul was saying, I worked hard I to want, do these I things. Exactly. No, no. He said I worked hard to do these things. Yeah. He says, but now I am by the grace of God. What I am what I am. What I am by the grace of God, and not what I am by my work. Okay. Yeah. 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 Not by my yeah. work. Yeah. 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 But by the grace of God I am what I am. See, there are people that are trying to work stuff in ministry. Go back to the previous verse. Last nine. Last nine. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not, that I am not me for or, or able to be called an apostle, but because I persecuted the church of God. but so based on what I did, I don't even qualify. Right. But the verse next verse, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what i am not by what i did verse nine Uh but by the grace of god i am what i am verse 10. (laughs) and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain but i labored more abundantly than everybody else who says that under grace i ain't got to do nothing see there are those people out there that say under the grace of god they, they, they I, we don't have to pray we don't have to fast yeah, exactly. we don't confess the word no more yeah. we don't come to that's church right. no more yeah what they're saying is well i don't need no faith i'm just a passive christian yeah. that's just sitting back waiting on something to hit me yeah paul said i am by the grace of god what i am and he said but, but. i labored more than all the other disciples and apostles right What's this? And uh, blah, blah, blah. yet not I, yet not I. So you know what, what he did, he rested in what God oh was doing Jesus. on his inside exactly. exactly, But the grace of God which was with me. Yeah. So the credit wasn't given to his labor, Amen. but it was given to his rest Amen. in what the grace
2: of God yeah. was able. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Amen. That's it. Yeah. That's good and the bible says in hebrews four, for we who have believed do enter that rest as he has said but some of them did enter that rest because they would not believe. yeah and really and that rest remained for people of god yeah you, you had a question the rest.
3: that was our question it's okay now and really what we've seen today is a demonstration of what paul said dr dollar is graced and is grace empowered and he has come here and spent all day ministering to us if you want to use the words you can substitute what he going to say laboring with us
2: yeah yeah
3: but it's not laboring with us to get something right but it's labored with us as a result of what he's already gotten
2: amen that's good that's good
3: does that make sense
2: yeah yeah.
3: Uh, and so we, we shouldn't get confused and get caught up with these terminologies. The Father of God has graced and empowered me and give me a business. Does not now mean I'll just sleep every day, drink Kool Aid, don't tender the business. Then you'll be broke. The grace will empower you to use God's wisdom, God's ability to take the business to another level, another dimension. Yeah, but it's labour that's empowered by grace you didn't just wake up and dream it up God gave you the thing and do you follow God's prompting to get it done
0: it's when I believe something my belief gives birth to the action it's not me creating an action Right. Just because I can say, well, I got an action now to make it faith. But what I believe, when you really believe something, it'll give birth to the action. And don't forget about under grace, we have the wonderful leadership of the Holy Spirit. Who begins to dictate and talk to us about do this, do that, carry that out, do that. The life of grace is not the life of a passive Christian. It's not an apathetic, passive Christian who's just sitting back there waiting on God to do everything. But I believe this thing to such a point that I'm going to hear something. I'm going to hear a direction. I'm going to hear God say this and do that and do that. And I got to be ready to give birth to the action that comes from my belief. When I really believe, when I really believe that a chair can support me, I am going to sit down. But there are some people who take grace to the extreme. Anything in the extreme will end up in error. Faith in the extreme will end up in legalism. Grace in the extreme will end up in lasciviousness. It will produce a passive Christian who just don't think they got to do anything because they're under the grace of God. Anything in the extreme will lead to error. And so what I believe is eventually going to allow me to be the recipient of a transmission from the Holy Spirit that says, because you believe, go ahead and do what needs to be done. And then that's God working in you to do the work. This thing about well, you know, I'm under grace, let's just chill out, don't go to church no more, don't pray no more, don't do nothing, I'm just under the grace of God. That is not God is not producing an, an, uh, an apathetic Christian, that's just not what he's trying to do. But you will see work that comes as a result of him working in you. He does the work, I do the believing, but remember all of what he did is to enable me to be able to do So he is faithful to enable me to be faithful. He has forgiven to enable me to forgive. He has blessed me, enabled me to be a blessing. I'm a fruit bearer. I am bearing fruit of what Jesus the root has already enabled me to do. Don't let the word labor bring any kind of fear of contradiction of anything because what happens is, when Paul said, under grace, it also has another meaning. That the empowerment I get by grace will outdo what everybody else is doing in their labor without grace. Amen. I'll labor much more than all of them because I'm graced to do it. And when you're graced to do it and anointed to do it, you can do much more than somebody who's doing it in their own right. strength, and their own effort. Amen. One
2: last question, tell us the rest, okay? One last <laughs>
3: question, yes. Last one. Uh-uh. When, when Pastor Donald was teaching, he touched on this scripture just briefly, but if you could please teach us the context. And that's Ecclesiastes 10, that says, but money answereth all things. Can you please explain that context? Because it's, at face value, it's inconsistent with what you taught us. God answereth all things. But you, you didn't teach us the context behind this particular
1: scripture. You, you, you mentioned You did, review. I did. Oh, okay. I did. Oh, I said people say that money answers all things, and I know that it's that it's in there. Uh, uh, I don't have that right off the top of my head, but it doesn't mean that money actually is going to answer and solve every problem. Of course, in in generality, uh, that uh, it does go on down later. I think I heard my brother over here say that money is a is a defense, and it can be used in our in our system. Uh, whereas money can purchase a lot of things right. in our system right. and in our, uh, the Bible says call Satan, the God of this world right. or in You're the God sure of this you. world system, money can answer a lot of things. It, it can, it, it wants to be able to, uh, as pastor said before, it wants to take the place of God because when you hear money answers all things, well, what do we need God for? So, in in essence, and, and I hate that I'm unprepared, and that I I, I know I'm, I know what I'm saying is right. right. I just want to be able to look articulate, in here and, and articulate it and tell you exactly.
2: But, but it didn't say. But it didn't say it provides everything. It It's an answer. It didn't say it provide because there's some things that only God can provide. Hey, Amen. Somebody can answer. It can pay your bills. It can mm-hmm. pay your doctor bill. Pay your charge card. All that. It can do a lot of things, but mm-hmm. it cannot provide. It can't provide peace. It can't provide health. It can't provide uh, <laughs> uh, a happy marriage. It can't provide any of those things. It can only answer some things in this system. It can answer some things, but it cannot provide.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, where's that again? In can, can you put that up on the uh, in the amplifier? What was the what was the word again? Ecclesiastes ten nineteen and amplified. Okay, it says here instead of repairing the breaches, the officials make a feast for laughter, serve wine to cheer life, and depend on tax money answers for
2: all of it. In the system. Again, system. again, in this system. Once again, That's what the taxes. Yeah, about this tax. taxes. this system. There you go. Taxes, this yeah. system. But it, it cannot provide.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, it. And see, there, as, as Bishop just said, you know, we're talking about tax here, we're talking about in this system, money can answer a lot of things in this system. But we know that money, of course, doesn't answer Every every problem of life, right. you you've heard the same before. If you if you're sick and dying, money can't can't That's buy right. your health. You know if if uh, uh, whatever if, if a person has has died, money can't get them back to life. It's, right. it's you know those things there that are very obvious to us. So so really, and reading the context of this, and I would encourage you to do so, and 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 get even a better understanding in some of the other versions. Read the context first. Get the full understanding with the context and then read it in other version. It'll explain it
3: better. Amen. Okay. Good. Amen. Praise God. Right. Hallelujah. Can you just touch your hands to Pastor Dollar and just bless him for having blessed us and pray that God will replenish him. Yes. That God will refresh him. That God will continue to open his heavens above him. That every need in his life, the provision that God has made will be manifest that his household is protected that his children are protected that every plan of God concerning him is coming into manifestation in its season in the name of Jesus that this word of God that God has placed in his mouth will continue to prosper that the anointing of God on his life will be fresh and renewed. That his garments will remain pure and undefiled in the name of Jesus. That with long life, God has already satisfied him and will bless God for his life and for the line and for the message that god has lived up through him in the name of jesus we call multiplication to his life multiplication to his ministry multiplication to his resources and that everything he lays his hand upon god prospers and blesses over and over beyond his wildest imagination in the name of Jesus. And as he has poured out on us so generously, so liberally, and so freely that God refreshes him back, fills him to the brim, to the overflow in the name of Jesus. We thank you because he's blessed and we praise your name for what God has done on the entire World changes family in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Amen.